<laughs> so good to see you. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney Ephraim, and great to be with you today. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Jordan did a great job leading us on the fruit of the Spirit called patience. And as has been noted already, we're going to speak this morning on the fruit of the Spirit called kindness. I want to let you know that as I jump in this morning, uh, we're going to jump in with two feet. And uh, this is going to be one that I think just really requires something of you, both emotionally and intellectually. It's going to require you to really engage your mind and hopefully your heart as well. And, uh, and me too. So why don't we pray as we begin. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a sweet time of worship together. Thank you for this church, for beautiful people all around. Thank you for every newcomer here, and ask God that you bless them. For every regular here, ask God that your hand of mercy would be upon them. Thank you for this church family. God, we're grateful for the people around us, and uh, grateful for this wonderful church building, the freedom, the liberty that we have to worship you in spirit and in truth in this nation. We're thankful, Lord, for the beautiful weather. And uh, we're grateful, Lord, that you desire for us to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit to others. And we don't have to gin it up on our own. We don't have to pull up ourselves by our bootstraps. We can lean into you every day. And your Holy Spirit is able to do in us that which we could not do in ourselves. And today we're going to talk about a fruit of the Spirit that is, uh, is it's a challenge, especially in the culture. But we're asking your help. So we ask you to guide us through your word, teach us by your spirit, we invite you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The fruit of the spirit is the most beautiful description of a life well lived that's ever been written. We say we want happiness, but really we want something much deeper than happiness. We say we want wealth, but we want something much, much deeper than wealth. We want this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Today, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. There's a famine of kindness in our land today. And when you experience unkindness and judgmentalism in our land today, it feels kind of like this picture. It leaves you feeling like a parched lake that is desperate for water to come in and bring moisture through which the cracks in your soul would be healed. We live in such a land where there is a famine of kindness today. You will see it every time your team loses a game, whoever your team is. And you will see it directed with a strange form of angry and anger and vitriol toward 19-year-olds on message boards for the public to see. Isn't that right? Every time 
a rare form of anger that no one would ever express to another person face to face shown on message boards. You see it whenever there's a presidential debate or any kind of political discourse, any kind of political controversy, you'll see it on Twitter every time. From both parties, from the top down, I call it the culture of debate and hate. That's what we see in our culture today. You see it, unfortunately, even directed toward family members and friends and some social media outlets. You see it when you talk to a kid, an elementary or middle school kid who's been bullied. You see the parched soul. You, 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 you hear it anytime. You listen to a story of a child who turned into an adult who experienced violence as a kid. And as they experienced violence as a kid and they weren't able to work through it, it turned into something as an adult. And you hear their stories and they always have this common denominator of judgmentalism, of unkindness, of being bullied. Our culture, fortunately, has begun to respond to the famine of kindness in our land. One popular bumper sticker today goes like this. You've seen it. Practice random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. That's one way that our culture has responded. Tolerance today is the pinnacle cultural value. And tolerance today is defined as something like, I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay. Let's just be nice to each other. Let's just be kind to each other and get along. Corporations have learned that kindness now is good for profit. And they've taken notice by labeling new products such as kind skincare products, kind granola bars, kind granola, kind sodas, kind LED gardening lamps for growing marijuana in your basement. <laughs> and my own personal favorite, kind deodorant which I have on right now because I want to be kind to you. <laughs> Our local Kearney Public School District has the motto for this year, simply, be kind. And that's a good motto. I'm not disparaging that in any way. I'm grateful for that motto. That's a great place to start. But isn't there something in all of these products and mottos and simple statements that whispers to us, can you please go a little bit deeper and give me a little bit more? Isn't there something in the statements and the longing related to kindness that says, oh, show me how. Show me what I should do. What would kindness actually look like today? Here's a definition for kindness. Kindness is the sincere desire for the flourishing of another person. It's the honest, sincere desire that those who are like us and those who are dislike us would actually flourish. That we long for their good. That we want them to be blessed. We want God to bring blessing on their lives. It's a movement in our hearts toward compassion for all people. It's a movement in our hearts from seeing people as them who are fundamentally different from us to seeing all people as us that we all put on our pants the same way. 
We're all in need of compassion. We're all in need of kindness to strengthen us. Genuine kindness is like water refilling those deepest cracks of the parched lake that is the human soul. It's as simple as a smile to a store clerk, getting to know someone who is serving you, getting to know their name, asking a little bit about them. It can be as simple as taking that prayer card that we've talked about these past few weeks and genuinely praying, God, would you make me aware of what's going on around me in the dorm room? God, would you make me aware of what's going on in my apartment complex or at my workplace and where someone has need and would you give me compassion for that person once you make me aware? And then finally, would you make me bold with kindness that I would extend that toward that person? It can be as simple as that. Kindness is as simple as a wife choosing not to keep a record of wrongs against her husband. A husband choosing, I'm going to let go of this that I'm holding against my wife. It can be as simple as the old-fashioned way of welcoming someone to the neighborhood with a plate of cookies. Hello, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. It can be as simple as visiting someone in a hospital room when you know they don't have anything to give back to you. They won't even know that you are there. You cannot do anything for them except for offer your presence to them. That's kindness. It's as simple as knowing that someone in the neighborhood has gone through a divorce, and so you check in on them because you know how painful that is, and so you want to meet them where they are and say, I was thinking about you, I was praying for you this week. It's very simple. But it ain't easy, is it? In the words of the brilliant jazz uh, musician Thelonious Monk, it's simple, but it ain't easy. Kindness is really simple, but it's not easy. If Jesus was in the, the bumper sticker business, uh, he wouldn't have made practice random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. He would have made the bumper sticker that says, practice intentional acts of kindness and thoughtful acts of beauty. There's nothing random about it. It's intentional. It's going after people that you know are hurting and demonstrating kindness, demonstrating compassion towards someone. Now, the reason that this is so hard for all of us to do so on a consistent basis is because the direction of every human heart from birth is back towards self. Isn't that right? You all know your basic theology, and this is very basic theology 101. You were made in love by God, and he did a great job making you, but we all have this thing called a sinful condition, and the fundamental reality of the sinful condition is this. We look out for number one. And because our direction of our hearts is back towards self, we naturally look at our own belly buttons, look out for, for number one. It's difficult to consistently look out for others and be kind. But the fundamental characteristic of God, one of the fundamental characteristics of God, which is so very different, is he is kind to everyone. He doesn't look inward, he looks outward. Let me give you a few examples from the scriptures. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, says this. Here are the words of Jesus. He says, love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, 
because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Like, sit on this verse for just a moment. Lend to those with no expectation of repayment? No thanks. Or how about this one? Be kind again and again to the ungrateful? Have you ever tried to be kind repeatedly to someone who does not say thank you? But this is the character of our God. He is kind even to the ungrateful and the wicked. He is long-suffering with people. How about Ezekiel chapter 18? It says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Writing through the prophet Ezekiel, God says, Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their wicked ways and they live? Our God is not pleased to take vengeance. He doesn't want to take vengeance on anyone. He wants people to turn from any wicked way that they have fallen into, anything that they have done wrong, and that they may live. So also he desires that for us. Now, I gotta say, there is something in me, and at least in most men, that we kind of like vengeance, don't we? Has anyone watched the movie Gladiator? Come on, man. Yeah, I, I like that movie. Anyone else? Watched that movie several times. I mean, I kind of like a man like that. You remember what he says toward the end of the movie? My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, and I shall have my vengeance either in this life or the next one. Yeah! And we kind of like that stuff, don't we? We kind of think, that's the way God should be. Take his vengeance now. But you know, one of God's superpowers is kindness. Even to the ungrateful and to the wicked. God is kind to all people without distinction. And the reason that he's kind to all people without distinction is because the character of God is this. He made you in his image, and you matter to him. Our vision statement is so simple here. Every person matters, and we say that with power and with confidence almost every week here because God made you, he did a great job, and you matter greatly to him. God is kind to you. He is kind to me. Look at Romans chapter 2 with me, and you'll see one of the most beautiful portraits of the character of God in all of Scripture. It's one that we perhaps don't focus on enough, in part because we like to focus on the power and the holiness of God, but you're going to see something very different here in Romans chapter 2. If you turn to Romans chapter 2 with me, you'll find right after the book of Acts, and right before 1 and 2 Corinthians over in the New Testament, we'll just look at four simple verses here this morning. And uh, this comes out of Paul's magnum opus to his church in Rome. Paul has written a number of different letters to churches throughout the Mediterranean region, and this is kind of his, his creed, his magnum opus letter, the one where he displays the greatest doctrine in all of his letters, is found here in Romans. This is what he says here in Romans 2 about the character of God. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, 
pass judgment on them, yet you do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Just sit on that verse number four for a moment. Paul asked this question, do you show contempt for the kindness of God? Sometimes, truth be told, we really want a God that is a little bit more like Maximus Decimus. I will have my vengeance here and now. And so we kind of do show contempt for the kindness, the forbearance, the patience, the long-suffering, the mercy of God. But the simple fact is, God came to us when we were unkind and when we were wicked, and he saved us right in the middle of our sin. You see, many of us don't really love the kindness of God because we forget how far away we were from the goodness of God when he came and he saved us in the first place. Sometimes what we do in the church is this, we differentiate people into these two different categories. You have good people over here, and you have bad people over here. And these bad people really need to get judged, and good people like me, we really need to get, we really need to, to get loved. Anyone else do that? Well, we do that sometimes. But the biblical truth is, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and guess what? I'm a sinner. All of us are. And we are all equally in need of the grace of God. And it's right in the middle of our greatest failures, whatever they might be, that God is knocking at the door of your soul, giving you his kindness to say, come back to me. It's right there. That's what he does. And it's his kindness. It's his warmth. It's his generosity. What was it that saved you? Look at that verse. Let's put it back up. Verse 4. What was it that saved you? The kindness of God. When you were far, when you were distant, when you were doing your own thing, when you were looking out for number one, God doesn't categorize people into good and bad categories. He says, all people are loved by me, but all people have fallen far from my grace, and even so I come and I meet with them right there. And it's the kindness of God to people without distinction that is so very different than us. Wow, this is a God worth serving. This is a God worth worshiping. I tell you what, if you want to know what the kindness of God looks like, bathe yourself on a regular basis in the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Because if you want to know what God is like, you look no further than Jesus himself. Jesus is our portrait of what God is like. He demonstrates for us the very character of God. And how did Jesus treat those with whom he differed? He ate with them. That's how he did it. Think about some of the people that were so very different from Jesus that you see Jesus dining with on a regular basis. Like Jesus dined with prostitutes. Not my kind of people. Okay? And yet he, he dined with them. Jesus dined with lepers. You know who lepers were in Israel? They were people who were quarantined off from the rest of society left in a little silo to be all by themselves. And when they entered into the community, they needed to shout, unclean, unclean, leper. And then people would run away from them 
That's what they had to do according to Jewish law, and Jesus dined with them in spite of their infectious disease. This is your God. How about tax collectors? Not my kind of people. Especially back then, they wouldn't be your kind of people. These were Jewish countrymen who were employed by the Roman Empire to exact unfair taxes against fellow Jews. And how did Jesus persuade them? Over dinner. He sat down and he ate with them. This is the kindness of God. Many years ago, I had the privilege of helping to lead a ministry for the homeless. And uh, each Saturday, well, we'd get together and we had a soup kitchen for the homeless. And uh, we, we didn't just do the soup kitchen. We also provided haircuts and got their nails done. And it was just a great, great time. Gave a message and a Bible study. And then people came through the line and they got a good bowl of chili and got some bread and some apples and whatever else. And there were a certain number of volunteers who were needed each and every week to stand behind the table and serve people their chili as they came through. And that was a really good, important volunteer responsibility, particularly for those who are brand new to serving the homeless because they oftentimes saw them as other other kinds of people who I couldn't really relate to, so it felt a little bit more comfortable to relate to them from across this table. But it was interesting, as those folks, while were being served their food, they would regularly walk along the lines like this, with their heads down. Fortunately, there was another group of volunteers who also had as their responsibility to run the hug line. They were there after everyone got their meals to give those folks a hug, to help them get their food to their table, to give them a hug, and then after that, to go get their own meal and to sit down at the table and dine with them. And if you look carefully, sometimes you would notice through a number of questions back and forth between the volunteer and those being served, the homeless, sometimes the homeless heads would pop up and you'd see a smile because they experienced the life-giving, soul-satisfying dignity of kindness that is exchanged over the course of a meal. There is something about eating a meal together, isn't there? It's like this association of friendship that I am for you. Even though we are different, we are really far more similar though than we think we are. And this is the kindness of God in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the kindness of God is what, melt our, is what melted our hearts in the first place. And still today, our kindness, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, is what God so frequently uses to melt someone else's hearts that are currently stone cold to God himself. I would like to submit for your consideration, though, this morning, that kindness grows as we look in the mirror before we look out the window. Here's how kindness would grow in us. We begin each day by looking in the mirror as opposed to looking out the window at all the things that those people are doing out the window, all the things that those people are doing wrong out there. We start instead with focusing on what we see in the mirror each day. Look at the way Paul calls us out within the church. He's calling his church out. Verse one, he says, you therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Like, is this true with anyone else in the room? Ouch, that's convicting. Why is it that I judge the things in other people that I end up doing myself? Anyone else? This is so, con two hands for me, okay? Okay. Maybe not for you guys, but it's, it's like Paul is reading my mail here. 
I end up judging others for the things that I don't like about myself. That's what he's saying. We end up noticing something and picking on something that we don't like in someone else, and then we end up judging that ourselves, partly because we see the same thing in ourselves. This sounds so much like Jesus in Matthew 7. He puts it this way. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? First focus on taking the log out of my own eye, Adrian, and then I'll be able to see clearly to be able to possibly develop a relationship with this person and maybe notice the speck of sawdust in their eye and be able to help them with that as well. But focus your energy on what is in the mirror. Christians, amongst all people, should be famous for kindness. Sadly, today, many times, Christians are famous for the opposite, which is judgmentalism. I don't think that's necessarily the case of this church. I think we have an exceedingly kind church. I don't see gossip happening here. I don't see triangulation or judgmentalism happening here, but it can happen. I don't know why it is that Christians have become known for this. Perhaps it's their certain people on the national stage who have been given a microphone and they portend to speak for Christ and they love power and they like to talk about the things that they are against and all you hear from their mouth is judgmentalism. Or maybe it's because we all long for truth so much and I do too, but there's something when you long for truth and you desire so much to give it to people, but you haven't yet developed this buffer of kindness, of relationship with them first before giving truth, it feels like a sledgehammer coming down on their head. That's how truth feels when it's devoid of the kindness of Christ uh, that's been given first to us. Whatever the case is, well, whenever the church is missing kindness, whenever any community is missing out on kindness, it's a tragedy for the way of Christ, a tragedy for the way of the church. The fruit of the Holy Spirit that comes as we lean into God on a day-in and day-out basis, as we yield to Him and say, God, would you keep me in step well with your Spirit? The natural fruit of the Spirit will be kindness. The most natural fruit of the Spirit as we lean into Him is this generosity, this graciousness, this goodness begins to extend from us that I would look in the mirror each and every day and say, how, God, that you would love me? The things that I did last week, that you would love me, and yet you forgive me. Nothing is more motivating than that, to look in the mirror and recognize how great God has forgiven us for producing kindness in us. Well, why is judgmentalism such a big deal to God? I mean, it's stated in the Scriptures a lot. Why is it such a big deal to him? I think of at least a couple reasons, in part that we see right here in this passage. To judge another person is to take God's role. Look at verse 3. It says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. What's the implication? The implication is you don't have truth. I don't have truth. God's able to judge completely because he has the whole truth. 
And so when we judge, we pretend that we have the whole truth, which we do not have. And so we're taking God's role of being judge or jury over someone else's life when, in fact, we don't know the entire story. To judge is to take God's role. Moreover, well, when we judge, we choke out kindness. Whenever we judge another person, though, this is what happens. It chokes out the power of exerting kindness to that person. The simple fact is our heart cannot hold judgmentalism and at the same time hold kindness at the same time. One of them will have to go. And so if you feel judgmentalism rising in your soul, if you feel gossip or triangulation rising in your soul, the quickest way to cut it down is by extending blessing to that person that you are tempted to judge. Extending blessing to that group of people that you're tended to judge. Kindness plus prayer can melt our own judge, judgmentalism and oftentimes melt other people's as well. I love the way our vice chairman, Claire Borhoff, put it. Uh, he, he said this to me when we were talking about kindness, and he said, Claire, if you don't know him, used to be the head football coach at UNK for many, many years, and he's one of the most godly men I know, and he says this, don't ever look down on someone unless you are reaching down to give them a hand up. Wow. And if you know Claire, you know that he lives that. Don't ever look down on someone unless you are reaching down to give them a hand now, part of the reason, stay with me here, part of the reason that we have a crisis of kindness in our world today is this. We have lost the right definition for tolerance. This is part of the reason that kindness has lost its teeth in our culture. Today, kindness is equal to tolerance, and they are not equal. Again, stick with me here. The modern definition of tolerance goes like this. I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay. Let's all just be nice to each other and get along. Let's pretend that we are saying the same thing. It's not only necessary for you to be kind to each individual person, it's also necessary that you be kind and be tolerant to various ideas and behaviors, even though you may believe that they are false. That is the modern definition of tolerance. It says, whatever, right? Whatever goes, you just figure it out and all ideas are equal, all behaviors are equal, not just all people are equal, but also ideas and behaviors are all equal. And when you start to believe that, you lose your teeth to be able to stand on both grace and truth at the same time. It's truly an absurd idea. Like, think about it. There are certain ideas that are better than other ideas. Nazism is a really, really bad idea, isn't it? Okay? The Ten Commandments are really, really good ideas. We should practice them. There are really good beliefs. Honesty and truth-telling is a really, really good practice. That's a really great behavior. Do it all the time. Lying and deception are really, really bad behaviors. There's good behaviors. There's bad behaviors. We should be able to say that. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? But modern tolerance would say, no, you must do away with all of the rough edges and just say that we all believe the same thing, we're all saying the same thing, uh, whatever behaviors are just preferences and whatever. What I would like to suggest is the more traditional form of tolerance that goes like this. We practice tolerance of all people, no matter 
what their ideas might be, no matter how different they may be than us, we practice tolerance of all people and we practice kindness toward people with bad ideas. There are bad ideas out there and we still demonstrate kindness to those who hold on to bad ideas. And what would tolerance be if there wasn't something to actually tolerate that is different between each other? Okay? Now it's not our role as those who are practicing traditional tolerance which everyone in the West practiced till about 50 years ago. Everyone practiced that. There's not a bad role to just loving people and saying, I disagree with you. And yet at the same time, I do not need to be warden over your life. In, in traditional tolerance, you can say, I fight for your right to believe something different than me. But let's not say we say the same thing, because we don't. I will fight for your right under the First Amendment. And I'll fight for your right underneath the free will of God that he gives to each of us. But let's not act like we're saying the same thing. We are not. Invite you to hold on to whatever beliefs you have. And even as you hold on to different beliefs than me, I will still demonstrate kindness to you. The sad thing is today, kindness and respect have become controversial. Okay, we can disagree on policies. Church, on Facebook, on Twitter, we can disagree on policies. What we cannot disagree on is kindness and respect. Everyone that we meet is due that. Kindness and judgmentalism hold this in common. It, they're both like boomerangs. If you toss them out, you're going to get them back. If you toss out judgmentalism, you know it's coming back to you, don't you? Right? Like, if you know someone who's judgmental, you know someone who's gossiping, you know they're going to gossip about you, don't you? Judgmental people, it comes back to them. But kindness also reciprocates. It also comes back. Kindness also builds up. Again, the false narrative is that in this culture of debate and hate, it's impossible for us to disagree with each other agreeably. And what I want to tell you is that we, as the people of God, can speak up for both truth and love at the same time. I have numerous family members, I have numerous friends who I disagree with, and they disagree with me on very small issues like marriage, sexuality, religion, and politics. And we love each other still. We extend grace to each other still. We disagree, we argue, and then we hug. And friends, that's possible, and the church needs to lead the way for our culture. The culture is not going to lead the way. We as the church need to lead the way for our culture if we're going to actually change this culture of debate and hate that exists everywhere. Don't get infected by it. Don't allow yourself to be infected by the junk that is everywhere. Stand above it. Don't lose your moral high ground. Hold on to the kindness, the love, the mercy of God. i got to wrap this up. Okay, I'm going too long. Okay, j just think with me as I do a few applications. Who is someone who is exceedingly kind? Think of them for a moment. Do you have a name in your mind? What do they do? I think of my wife. Susie's about the kindest person I've known. 
She is kind to people of other religions. She is kind to people of other colors. She is a minority no matter where she goes. She knows her faith and she's able to stand for it. She visits people. She writes more letters, handwritten letters to people than anyone I know. Make my hand tired. Think of people who are exceedingly kind and follow them. Imitate those who model kindness well. Yeah, it begins with Jesus. You look at Jesus in the Gospels and you see the way he was kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, kind to lepers and adulterers and prostitutes and all the rest, and you imitate him, you consider the way he was so kind to you as you imitate him, yeah, it starts there. But also think of those in the flesh who are these living, breathing examples to us of those who live out the love of Christ in such profound, kind manners and do that. We all need living, breathing examples of how to live out the fruit of the Spirit. And I gotta tell you, my wife leads me in this. I am not the leader in this area of our marriage or our home. I need her to lead me. I look at her and I imitate what she does. Imitate those who practice kindness well. Second, pray it, don't say it. Remember how mama used to put it? If you don't have something nice to say, don't, don't say it at all. Zip your lip. Just don't say it all. Don't say it on Twitter. Don't say it on Facebook. Don't say it on Instagram. Zip your lip if you don't have something nice to say. Just pray it. God is strong enough. As you read the Psalms, you know you can bring anything to God. Bring your anger to God about such and such a person. You're welcome to do that. God is big enough to hold it. But if they get wind of what you say, you will ruin your witness in their lives for good. Pray it. Don't say it. Great woman, though, that I knew led a ministry called Moms in Prayer, and she led it in Boulder County, Colorado, which is one of the most liberal school districts in America. And what they did is they got together on a weekly basis and they prayed for the teachers and the administrators who were responsible for caring for their kids. And what she noticed is that as these moms got together, they were tempted each and every time they came together to pray to turn it into a gossip fest, to notice all the things about the teachers and administrators in the district that they really don't like. And so she instituted this principle, pray it, don't say it. You got an issue, give it to God. Pray it to him because this is a non-judgmental, non-gossip zone. I have the same principle here in the church. If anyone brings to me a complaint about someone else, you will hear me say, have you told them? Non-gossip zone, pray it, don't say it. And then finally, listen well. I know it's cliche and we've heard this a hundred times Bob, before, but it's still true. God has given us two ears and one mouth for a reason. And man, when you listen, when you listen well to people's hearts, when you hear their grief, when you choose to walk in their shoes and experience just a little bit what they've experienced, that creates a buffer of relationship through which you can speak into their lives in a way that you will never get if you lead with truth people simply will not hear anything in our culture that we have to say unless they see that we love it's the kindness of God it is the kindness of God that led us to repentance that healed us when we had a parched cracked soul 
And God would intend that we would be the distributors of his kindness to others who we meet even this week, who likewise oftentimes are parched, longing for a touch of the love that our God has to offer. And he chooses to use ordinary people like us. So, Father, we surrender to you. We surrender to you. All of us have been infected in one way or another by this culture of debate and hate. And for some of us, we've allowed it to get way down deep into our souls, such that truth is, we really dislike some people. We really hate some people. And we couldn't imagine choosing to extend love to them. And Father, we know that's a far cry from what you want us to be, which is ambassadors of Christ. So we ask for your forgiveness. Right now, in the quiet of this place, would you just confess that to God, if that's true for you? And all of us, Lord, have sinned in judgmentalism. We have not figured out this correct balance, this tension between grace and truth, and for that we are truly sorry. And once again, we ask that you would forgive us. And we pray, God, that you would use us this week. Would you please use me? Would you please use every person in this room to intentionally extend kindness to someone else in our neighborhood or our workplace in these days to come? Father, we want to be used by you. And we recognize that if we lead with an intensity or We don't earn the right to be heard. We simply won't be used by you. So, Father, forgive us for the ways that we failed. Would you please use us even this week? I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would enable Carney E. Free Church to be a community that changes the reputation of the body of Christ, that we would be a people who make famous the name of Jesus who is kind, who is kind. We will be careful to give you all the glory. We'll be careful to give you all the credit. We invite you to use us now in Jesus' name. Amen.